Welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. I'm Rachel Telford. The Grain Talk podcast can be found on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform. In this episode of Grain Talk, we will speak with Deb Conlon, the Manager of Government Relations here at Grain Farmers of Ontario. This year, our organization is celebrating 10 years, and each month, we are highlighting a different department to talk about the success and changes that have been seen during the past decade. But first, we start this Grain Talk podcast with some news about our organization. A new CEO has been selected to lead Grain Farmers of Ontario. Joining us to make this announcement is Chair Marcus Hurl. Marcus? Yeah, so uh, there's been a lengthy process been put in place uh, by uh, the Grain Farmers Ontario Board uh, back in September to uh, fill the position of the CEO of Grain Farmers. And this uh, process was uh, actually a lengthy process where we reached out to international and national candidates that uh, would be a good fit to the organization. And uh, through this um, uh, this practice, we basically came up with an, uh, an individual that's going to be leading the organization into the next chapter of uh, Grain Farmers Ontario. And uh, that the individual is Crosby Devitt. And I'm actually very excited to announce that because he is a very energetic, forward-thinking, uh, prosperous person that's going to be able to deliver what we expect from him and uh, he's been with GFO uh, again uh, three years in the vice president position and uh, prior to that uh, he was with uh, the Canadian Sea Trade and before that was actually an employee of GFO and with some legacy organization as well from grain farmers and uh, it is uh, actually quite exciting to have such a person internally of Grain Farmers Ontario that's going to be able to lead this organization forward. What are the next steps, Marcus, in terms of the transition period before Barry Semph officially steps down on April 1st? So the, uh, the process is certainly something that's important to, uh, to look at, but uh, let's remember here, uh, Crosby is a person that's already working on a lot of files that Grain Farmers is working on. Uh, I think uh, one key part that uh, needs to happen is Crosby being introduced to stakeholders, to uh, people uh, that we work with in government, uh, to make sure that they, uh, those individuals understand that now Crosby is going to be leading the organization, that they, they will have to have the conversations with him. Uh, so the uh, actually the starting date for Crosby will be April 1st, and uh, that time frame, yes, it will be coming up fairly shortly. But in in the, in the uh, immediate time, there is some preparation for that transition to happen. Well, thank you very much for joining us today to share this exciting news. You're more than welcome. The other news we are focusing on this week is the declaration of emergency that was enacted by the Ontario government on Tuesday in an attempt to control the spread of the novel coronavirus known as COVID-19. 
The emergency declaration forces the closure of all indoor recreation programs, public libraries, licensed childcare centers, all bars and restaurants except for takeout and drive-through, theaters, concert venues, and private schools. Publicly funded schools were already closed for three weeks under a separate order announced ahead of March break. The emergency also prohibits all public events of more than 50 people. Joining me in studio to discuss what this means for Green Farmers of Ontario is Victoria Barry, Manager of Communications. Thanks for joining me, Victoria. Thanks for having me, Rachel. Before the provincial emergency was declared, the province had already stated that gatherings of more than 250 people should be avoided, and that, amongst other factors associated with the COVID-19 pandemic, prompted Grain Farmers of Ontario to cancel the March Classic. Can you walk us through that decision? Sure. So I think things changed really quickly and really rapidly throughout the few weeks leading up to the March Classic. As we saw what was happening globally and we saw the measures being taken across the globe, we knew it was something we had to keep our eye on as cases started sprouting up across Canada and especially in Ontario. So what we did was really reached out to a lot of the different health organizations at every government level, municipal, provincial and federal, just to understand what the guidelines were um, around that from them. And once we saw that, you know, there was a kind of an, advi- an advisory from the Ontario government around gatherings of 250 people or more, uh, we knew that for everyone's safety, it, you know, it, it just made sense to, to cancel the show. For our farmer members and our industry associates who were hoping to attend the March Classic next week, they've already had plans to come to London. What does that mean for them in terms of this cancellation? Are there any actions that they need to be taken to uh, address the fact that plans have been changed? No, there's not really any actions, but I would want to uh, make note for all members, exhibitors, VIPs, anyone who is planning to attend uh, that the hotel, the Doubletree Hilton in London, has cancelled all of the rooms uh, that were booked through our group booking. So those are cancelled. Nobody has to take any action on that at all. Um, they shouldn't have been charged for them beforehand. So, uh, you know, if, if you had booked a room, don't worry about it. It's already cancelled for you. And if you have any questions, just reach out to staff here. Um, at Grain Farmers and you can you can uh, DM us on Twitter or things like that Um, and then for our exhibitors and sponsors uh, for those partners if they have any questions I would say just reach out to the sales rep that you work with uh, either Owen or Carol over at Glacier Farm Media they'll be able to help you and direct you and answer any of your questions. The semi-annual delegates meeting that was scheduled to take place the day after the March Classic that obviously is cancelled as well what does that mean for our delegates in terms of um, staying in in contact with Green Farmers of Ontario. You know, we were also pretty saddened to have to uh, cancel the semi-annual Delegates Day. Uh, It's a great opportunity for our delegates to come together. It's where some resolutions and and issues get discussed. Um, And so I think what we're going to see is just maybe we'll be relying more on some of our email uh, distribution for for information on our website. Uh, we'll definitely have some more updates and posts for people using social media more. And uh, I think if anyone has any questions or concerns, just keep in contact with uh, their district chair and district committee, their district director, uh, and and then we'll help as we can. And we'll work. We'll be working in kind of constant collaboration with with those groups. And in general, for our farmer members, Grain Farmers of Ontario is still open for business? 
we absolutely are still open for business. Um, yeah, we're we're not slowing down at all. Uh, we're in planning for next year. We're in planning for the summer. And at the same time, we're also um, trying to understand the impact of the coronavirus for farmers and for, for our farmer members and, and where we can provide help um, or guidance. And, uh, and so stay tuned for more information from us on that. Uh, we're just going to try and be as up to date as we can. We're following closely with, um, like I said earlier, with public health at all levels, just to understand what's going on across the province. Thank you for joining us for an update today, Victoria. Thanks, Rachel. And now... Here's my conversation with Deb Conlon. Joining us on the podcast this week is Deb Conlon, the Manager of Government Relations here at Grain Farmers of Ontario. Thanks for joining us today, Deb. Well, thanks for having me, Rachel. So we are doing a series this year celebrating our 10th anniversary and just talking with each department about the past 10 years and and getting a bit more in depth in terms of what each department does for our farmer members. So why don't we start with what is the mandate or goal of the Government Relations Department here at Grain Farmers of Ontario? Well, uh, the purpose of the Government Relations uh, Department is really to take, uh, to be the voice of our members, right? So uh our members have priorities uh, that are set um, through the processes that uh, Grain Farmers of Ontario has. The board uh, determines those, uh, you know, solidifies those processes and plans. And then we turn those um, messages into campaigns and uh, messages to uh, members of parliament uh, and the federal level, to members of the provincial parliament in Ontario. Um, to the ministers that uh, can actually address those priorities and make uh, changes um, or take advantage of opportunities. And that's what our purpose is. Can you tell us a bit about the people who are involved in the Government Relations Department? So we have a team of three. Uh, we have uh, myself and we also have a, our economist, uh, Rob Gamble. And uh, we have someone on the ground in Ottawa, Gord Pugh. And what exactly is the focus of Rob and Gord? So uh, Rob, um, he's the number churner, really. He uh, looks at, on a macro level, what are the numbers of, you know, what are our contributions? He puts those uh, numbers together or works with external uh, people to put the numbers together about how big our industry is so that when we talk to government, we can tell them how big we are. So for instance, this year, we had a report done by Doyle Tech um, and Rob, uh, you know, worked with them to come up with the $18 billion number of our economic contribution, grain farm, grains industry economic contribution to uh, the economy. And uh, then on the micro level, he does things like analyze um, changes in business risk management, um, looking at where things are at as far as where the market is and the prices and how that impacts where the farmers are in general. And then also um, he looks at crop insurance, uh, you know, so the year that we had the issue with Don, he put together um, the data to support extending the salvage benefit. So he he's uh, both on the macro and micro uh, level of uh, churning numbers that help us in our GR campaigns. And can you give some examples of how Grain Farmers of Ontario directors and staff um, interact with our elected officials? 
There's a number of things that uh, we do. I mean, we have direct meetings. Obviously, we meet regularly with the Minister of Agriculture in Ontario, as well as the Minister of Agriculture at the federal government. And that is really, uh, you know, something that our board is heavily involved in when we're meeting with ministers. We also participate in consultations, so annually there's usually a few consultations that are taking place, and we sit on roundtables and in different venues, whatever the government's got set up, when we're participating in all of those um, opportunities to get forward the position of our members. But we also host a number of uh, proactive activities, so we have a reception at the province annually where we have a good uh, number, like, you know, probably 100 uh, members of parliament show up. People want to meet and talk to our board members about what their priorities are. And uh, we also have a reception at the federal government. We just hosted that in February with Atlantic Grains Council, the Quebec Grain Farmers, um, the Western Wheat Growers, and we had uh, an enormous uh showing at that reception where we're able to talk, you know, over drinks about what our priorities are and get to know each member of parliament uh, and politician and their staff. And then in the fall, every year we host the lunch at the International Plowing Match. And that's a really great opportunity. The, all the uh, provincial MPs take the day off. It's the only day off that they take a year at Queen's Park, and they go up to wherever the IPM is being hosted, and we have the lunch, and, and we have an opportunity to talk to them in, in that way as well. And then depending on what the issue is, obviously we're meeting with other ministers and different um, ministries uh, to get across the issues. In thinking about 10 years ago when Grain Farmers of Ontario merged the corn, soybean, and wheat groups together, from your point of view, from a government relations standpoint, was that a benefit to farmers? Uh, definitely. I mean, I was in the industry at the time working at Crop Life uh, when uh, the whole amalgamation was being discussed, and I knew the corn, soy, and wheat grower organizations well. Uh, but the amalgamation has just done um, a world of good for, you know, uh, just a whole variety of reasons. One is just giving the the, uh, resources that are required to do what's necessary. Um, And then uh, also having a one-stop shop for politicians where you get one message that uh, is on behalf of a number, the same farmers, but it just is way more powerful. Do you think it's easier for elected officials to only have that one point of contact? I think uh, it is, and it it also helps um, make sure that they uh, fully understand uh, what our standpoint is. There's no confusion um, in the messaging because, you know, no matter how well-intended you are to have aligned messaging, if you have a conversation with one person versus another, sometimes it just doesn't come across in the same way. So I think it's really helpful. Ten years ago when the organization first merged, it was a joint communications government relations manager role. And then shortly after, years after that, uh, they split communications and a dedicated government relations. Was that important? And, and how has that changed how we approached government relations? 
The communications uh, role is a pretty big role to begin with. So to be splitting the time in between the two, you know, one speaking to the public and our members through communications is more than probably a full-time job. It takes a whole team of people to do that work. Um, And then also to be designing government relations campaigns or or activities is uh it's it's a splitting the resource was probably um not giving the right amount of attention to both so uh i think it made sense to do and um i, I think it's worked out quite well um the other thing that's happened since then i think is government relations has become more complex right there's more uh, activities faster. I think um, when Kathleen Wynne was premier, that was one of the things that she said she would do was, you know, not keep uh, making tweaks to policy, but making wholesale changes. And we've seen that federally, provincially, where things are happening and they're big, they're fast, and they're highly detailed. So you do need some dedicated resources to it. You mentioned Kathleen Wynne, and there were some difficult times uh, during her time as premier. Um, Over the past couple of years since you've been government relations manager, what would you say was the biggest challenge that we faced? The issues that we had uh, trying to get across, um, A, the need for uh, neonic pesticides, as well as the stewardship uh, commitment of our farmers was a challenge, right? Uh, There was a lot of noise out in the media on this issue and there were people who were against farmers being able to use the products and we were trying to tell the story about how we needed them and how uh, how uh, we were using them properly and just how the bees were recovering based on those um, initiatives we put in place so I'd say that was probably one of the most challenging issues that we've dealt with. On the flip side, what would you say was a big win? It's funny because I think that part of that challenging time also helps us with the winning side, right? Because we were so active in the media, it really helped establish Green Farmers of Ontario as a voice for farmers in Ontario and often in Canada on a number of issues. So we are um, seen as a go-to organization for commenting on big issues um i think the biggest win that we have is that we've been you know progressively improving our situation as far as government policy since this organization started so you know we've gotten ethanol mandates from the kathleen Wynne government we've established ourselves as um helping contribute to the uh issues facing um, the Great Lakes, and we're we're one of the solution providers on uh, helping reduce phosphorus. Federally, we've had some good discussions about the issues facing farmers and the need to get a market facilitation program, like program, in place for our soybean farmers and to address agri-stability shortfalls. So we've got all of our issues on the agenda and you know, we're a relatively small player as far as Canada goes. So it, that's been um, one of the greatest successes is that we've got our issues on the radar. 
Let's talk a bit more about some of those issues. One of the things that you mentioned was the phosphorus in Great Lakes. And I know we've been involved in in a couple of different partnerships on that front. Can you give us a sense of the level of involvement that we've had with shaping policy and, and developing some new initiatives to address that problem? Well, we that the cover crop uh, strategy, um, that's a part of the solution that um, was put in the uh, agreement to address the issues facing the Great Lakes. And we've been part of the 4R nutrient management program, as well as uh, we're part of a group called EcoAg, which is... Uh, a formation of all of the commodity organizations to have a discussion about all of these initiatives in a proactive way and not uh, jump into a regulatory type environment to try and address these issues, but to really look at what are the what are the issues, putting them into context that the Canadian agriculture isn't the major contributor to those issues, and then making some changes through best management practices rather than uh, so sort of using the carrot and the stick. So you're getting the glassy programs put in place and some cap funding, the Canadian, you know, the Canadian Agriculture Partnership funding put towards initiatives to try and address these issues. And on the ethanol mandate that you mentioned, can you explain what that mandate, uh, how it's changed? It changed um, both for biodiesel and ethanol, and that um, happened in the last government. They looked at expanding what they called the green diesel mandate, so they increased the volume of biodiesel required in the mandate, and it's uh, on a credit system, so the better the fuel performs, the less fuel you need to use to meet your uh, obligation if you're a fuel company. And then the same goes for the ethanol mandate. They expanded it, made it um, a credit-based system, and uh, put in place a higher uh, mandate. One of the hot topics that we've been dealing with lately is the issue of the carbon tax and how that's impacting our farmer members, in particular this past fall when they had higher drying costs. Where are we at on that front? Well, um, that's a that's a another uh, interesting um, topic that uh, speaks to the impact that we as an organization have had in trying to get this on the agenda because we've been working with the uh, federal government on this issue since uh, you know Ontario got rid of the cap and trade system and we thought we might be obligated under this federal system to get the exemption for grain drying. We worked on getting the exemption for grain drying as well as um, fuel used for for equipment. They only did one exemption there, and that's something we didn't have under the cap-and-trade system, and we were not able to get. But um, we've got one private member's bill and one senator bill before the House right now on this exemption. So both these private member bills would ask for an exemption, and we're asking the federal government to give our farmers a rebate for what they've spent to date. So uh, we're working hard to try and get those one of those bills passed, and they both would satisfy our needs. And um, we're, we're working with uh, Senator Griffin and uh, the Member of Parliament, Mr. Lawrence, who's from Peterborough, to see how we can support them to try and get those passed through the House. Another large issue that we've been focusing on is the trade war with China and how that's impacting the market access that we have, with, in particular for soybeans. 
What um, has government relations been doing in terms of trying to let government know how our markets have affected the bottom line of our farmers? Well, we've done a few things. So uh, even meaning, you know, starting with and this first was announced by President Trump um, that he was going to give money to uh, his farmers to help shield them from the uh, trade war issues. We were in meeting with Minister of uh, Agriculture. It was McCulley at the time. And we helped, uh, we we stressed the issue that, you know, we were going to be put in a competitive disadvantage as prices changed. And uh, we set up a market watch group with Agriculture Canada to keep an eye on where our uh, soybeans were going and what prices they were being um, sold at. And that meets once a month and reports up to the minister. Um, We also uh, ran some ads during the election to highlight this issue facing our farmers. uh, And we had some great response to that ad and kept it on the the agenda of politicians. And we did a uh, report with Al Muscle on what that impact is, which really found that um, our farmers were losing between $25 and $65 uh, depending on what the price was on soybeans, and that uh, price loss is, you know, before they're even making any profits. So it's right off of their bottom line. They can't even cover their costs. So we've built kind of a war chest of information, um, but still the challenge is that, uh, you know, and I think today it's even worse probably with coronavirus and the oil prices dropping and the economies around the world being impacted by all of these things is getting across that this is a serious issue and it won't be resolved immediately. And when it is resolved, it's gonna take about five uh, years to recover from. So that's why we're working on not just getting um, uh, a payment from um, the government on this, but um, the federal government, but also making sure that the business risk management programs for price losses restored to its previous place at 85% coverage with no RMLs so that uh, our farmers can start to recover from it. Business risk management is something that we've been talking about with government for several years. Um, Why is it so hard, do you think, to get uh, any progress on that front? Yeah, we've been working on that for a good three years, and we have a coalition with um, that's called the Ag Growth Coalition, and that's with all of these uh, groups from across the country, CFA, the Grain Growers of Canada, the canola growers, and the sheep farmers. And uh, we've, you know, got the government to do a review, and we've tried to get them to change um, the coverage level. And so far, we haven't um, seen any action on that front. I know at this point, the federal, provincial, and territorial ministers met in December, and they've promised to report out in April um, with the expectation that some changes will be made to agri-stability in their July meeting this summer. But uh, there's no indication that that coverage is going to be increased at this point. And I think the challenge is, is... that the federal government needs to make an agreement with the provincial governments. They have to have two-thirds of the provincial governments to make that change. And that's, you know, that's like uh, Canada's dynamics unfolding for agriculture, right? It's not easy to make those kinds of agreements. 
Especially when the political landscape changes every couple of years when we have a new election and then there's a new government that comes in place. So how do you adapt to that changing political landscape when you're trying to plan for stability for farmers five, 10 years out and you have to deal with an election every four years? Yeah, well, I mean, you've got to build relationships that are nonpartisan relationships, basically, and uh, and making sure that your provincial government is really an advocate for you at the federal uh, government level, regardless of what the political stripes of either government is. Do you find that sometimes it's easier to have a relationship with the opposition at the time, or like you're speaking to the, the nonpartisan relationship, but... You know, does does that play into it at all in terms of how you can, I guess, get your message across better? It depends on the issue. I mean, it, I, the key is really, and this is why we ran the ads on the um, soybean issue uh, or the China trade war issue during the election, is the key is to get the parties to have this within their platform and your priorities to fit with whatever their objectives are. So, you know, for instance, the ethanol mandate fits well with the provincial liberal uh, government at the time because they wanted to improve their climate change initiatives. And and you can see that in the current government um, in uh, the province of Ontario, they're thinking about doing even more on the ethanol mandate because it's got solutions for climate change. So, you know, society's priorities influence these platforms as well, right? So um, all of the governments have fiscal uh, restraints, and that's why business risk management is a tough one because it requires a, a layout of money, right? And even though politicians come from rural ridings, like if we look at the provincial conservatives, a lot of their strong support comes from, you know, the rural areas of the province, but they're not necessarily um, connected to farmers or the farming community um, because a lot of politicians don't have that, just like the general public, they don't have a connection with agriculture directly. So how do you um, overcome that challenge in terms of helping them understand a bit more about agriculture? Well, there's a few things. I mean, we host opportunities for politicians to get out to farms, to meet farmers. You know, it's a fact that uh, politicians don't live or die by the farmer vote anymore where they used to. And that is a very important equation to politicians is who's going to vote for them. But I think, and I think it's evident in the um, concern for the uh, impact of the carbon tax on farmers, that it doesn't really matter whether or not a politician is in one of these rural ridings or in a city riding, the recognition of the value of the industry is there. And when there is something that is impacting their business and the organizations that represent them are putting forward those facts and increasing their uh, frequency and delivering those messages, then they listen and they try and do something to address it. I mean, right now, there aren't a ton of uh, rural MPs in uh, power at, at the federal government, yet we are seeing all of our issues being addressed in some fashion. Is Are they being addressed the way we want them to be yet? No, but they're on their agenda, right? So that's remarkable given that they don't live or die by our vote. Does it also play into how when we talk to politicians, a lot of times we will highlight the economic impact that we have in the province, the number of jobs, the number of 
that we contribute to GDP because that's something that they can relate to is those concrete numbers? In some cases, yeah. I mean, that's an important basis, right? Like even a few years ago, um, Trudeau, uh, the Prime Minister Trudeau's uh, government uh, initiated a review and uh, it's, you know, widely known as the Dominic Barton Report, which talked about the opportunity that agriculture can bring to Canada. And those kinds of understanding about what that economic impact can then once you have kind of a common understanding about that opportunity, then people start to invest in policies and programming that helps support the growth of that industry. So it is important from that standpoint. We mentioned how when the corn, soybean, and wheat groups came together, it created one voice for, for Ontario grain farmers. But we then put that voice with others at sort of national organizations that we're part of or interprovincial organizations that we're a part of. So from a government relations standpoint, why is our participation in those other uh, collaborative groups important? It's really important because we are just a provincial organization, right? And if there's going to be some action uh, at the federal government level, they need to know that other provinces and farmers are impacted. So, you know, for instance, uh, I think I mentioned earlier that we partnered with uh, the Quebec uh, grain farmers, Atlantic Grains Council, and the Western Wheat Growers, and we continue to partner with them. You know, beyond the reception. So, we're, what we have in common is the you know we all ran an advertising campaign in the Hill Times, which is a magazine that's read by politicians talking about the fact that there's a need to see um, compensation paid to farmers who are impacted by the trade war. And, um, you know, differentiating the fact that we're not in the supply managed sector and there needs to be recognition that there's been some hurt to those that are outside of that sector. And this is a a message that when we send it with all those four groups, it really has a lot more impact than if it was just Grain Farmers of Ontario on its own. Do you see a change in the way we approach government relations happening over the next 10 years? Um, yes, there's, uh, I think I alluded to it earlier, there's just a lot faster policy changes coming forward as the uh, society changes its priorities, the policy environment is uh, reflect, you know, it reflects that change and speed. Um, but also there's a lot more um, the devils and the details. The climate change policy is really about details um, and so the, the details, the uh, sphere of influence is really about data and mining data to, um, to increase your influence. You can't, it's not just about whining and dining. I don't know if it ever really was in my day, but it's, it's increasingly less about um, just having relationships that you can leverage. You have to have campaigns that support it and the details and the knowledge to influence those details as they get unfolded in policy. What can our farmer members do if they want to be more involved in government relations and and help support our initiatives that we are trying to put forward to the various levels? Well, our farmer members are a really important piece of the puzzle. I, I think that a lot of the action that we saw on the carbon tax and dawn issues were as a result of our farmer members phoning up their local members of parliament or provincial parliament and telling them what's going on. 
um, those people respond when they hear from their local constituents is just a fact. And when they hear from them, you know, more than 10 times from different people, the same message, then they're more apt to do something. And even though your local MPP might not be a minister or he's a minister of something other than, or she's a minister of something other than agriculture, if she gets a bunch of calls or he gets a bunch of calls, then he phones over to the minister of ag and says, what are you going to do about this? Right. And then that goes up to the premier or prime minister, depending whether it's federal or provincial. And then you see more action. So that's really the best way is getting out and speaking to those people and definitely speaking about what your priorities are. Have you noticed any changes with the predominance of social media in the past couple of years and how that helps either farmers connect with politicians or how it encourages politicians to take action on an issue? Yeah, I mean, I don't have any data per se for that analysis, but I think what is definitely evident is that you need to be active on there. Our farmers need to be active on there and and they need to show their support when politicians do something. You know, for instance, Senator Griffin and this uh, member of parliament, um, Mr. Lawrence from Peterborough, have put forward these uh, private members bills and they want to know that that's a priority for you, right? And then one of the ways that we all respond to, you do, I do, is, you know, how many likes did I get on Twitter for this action that I'm taking it? it has an influence. So, you know, being active on Twitter, looking at what your local member of parliament or provincial parliament's doing and making sure you give feedback if they're off base or if they're on base is, uh, I think, important. And then I think other issues get raised on social media and the way that we raise them in a professional way to make sure that you can say them in plain language, try and articulate what those issues are, whether it's an opportunity or a hurt um, that has an impact as well. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today and, and give us a bit more information about where we're at with government relations. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our Grain Talk podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash grain talk. A special thank you to our guests this week, Marcus Hurl, Victoria Berry, and Deb Conlon. If you like what you've heard today, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And remember, five-star reviews help us grow our audience.